Hello and welcome to the EMJ Podcast. I'm Simon Carley and this month is July 2017. We're going to go through all the interesting papers in the EMJ this month. Well, actually not all of the interesting papers, some of the highlights, because actually there's a huge amount of content in there. So what have we been up to this month? Well, the highlights from this issue, the primary survey, come from our colleague Richard Paris, one of our associate editors, and a great friend of mine for many years who works in the northwest of England in Bolton. And he speaks out a range of papers, uh, which are relevant to, I think, everybody, regardless of where you work, really. And where do we start? Well, last winter was a difficult winter for emergency medicine uh, in the UK, and I think pretty much everywhere, really. And that affects the staff who are in them as well. And uh, the unacceptable pressures that faces have only really partly gone away. And I think for many departments and for many people, they don't really think that they've, they've really fully recovered. Um, stress levels were high, people recorded fairly high levels of potential for burnout, there's quite a lot of dissatisfaction, and yet the patients kept coming and few appeared to leave, which is interesting, isn't it? Because if you think if you were a business, we'd be doing really well, because year on year we have more more people coming through the door and more people want to come to see us, so we must be doing something right. So years rush by and winter can seem... Uh, not too distant horizon. And so this themed issue of the MJ is pretty timely and of significant relevance in focusing upon stress, psychological well-being and job satisfaction amongst a range of emergency department staff from both the UK and from abroad. And uh, Richard wanted to highlight sort of four articles examining the subject. And there's also an excellent commentary from a great friend of mine, Liz Crow, who works out in Brisbane, who's got a lot of expertise in this area. And I'd strongly recommend you read that. So the first article we're going to talk about is um, whether or not emergency medicine is in fact a great career. And that's a really interesting study done in Wales. It's a qualitative study, um, it's a qualitative narrative study, interviewing a, a relatively small number of consultants from a, a variety of large emergency departments in Wales. And this study is undertaken to determine their views on both the positive and the negative aspects of their jobs and to inform prospective trainees of the attractions of a career in EM. Now, reassuringly, and despite the pressure of the job, most consultants were pretty positive about EM. A uh, range of factors justify their opinions. Um, surprisingly, they're all positive about a consultant's work-life balance in view, I think, contrary to the hell, that held by uh, trainees, um, both you know, those with national training numbers and not, um, that it's not, it's not such a good work-life balance. And, and I think we need to get that view across to students and trainees to consider EM as a viable long-term option. And one of the things that um, Liz Crow talks about is that it is a tough job and it's stressful at times, but it's also balanced out by quite a lot of positives about what we do. And your overall life satisfaction, your job satisfaction is a combination of the stresses and also the benefits and also the positives that we do. And understanding well-being and understanding the career is a combination of those things. So there's a second paper in here by Fitzgerald et al. And it's another qualitative study looking at a larger group of consultants from the southwest of England. And in this study, the authors have taken time to set out to determine the perceptions that EM consultants have of their psychological health, factors that impact on this and how they intend to, to cope with the pressures of being an EM doctor. And there's quite a lot in this, which is important. But the interesting, the negative effect of external organisational issues on the well-being of EM consultants stood out. And I think we've all felt that, really, that the job is tough enough as it is. But when you have other people coming in and telling you how to do it or saying that you're doing something wrong or suddenly changing the goalposts and saying, we're just, suddenly not, we're just not going to take that kind of patient. It's all over to you to sort out. is actually really tough. And I'm sure many of those changes are done with good intentions. But 
it's not the consequences aren't always realized on the effects of the individuals who have to work in those departments and i think this is one of those papers that will be relevant to you it'll be relevant to me but actually it's one that you might want to slip under the door of the managers as well so that they understand the consequences of what they're doing when they make sudden and dramatic changes or they put pressures on the department which we can't solve so things like the bed blocking crisis is not an emergency department problem it's a systems problem and if your managers and your admin and your colleagues don't understand that, you've got a problem. And my perception, certainly, is the departments I've worked in where that is understood, well-being is better. Where that is not understood and the pressures really come on high, the actual patient workload isn't any different. But the perception of the pressure and the difficulty and subsequently the well-being do change a lot. So have a look at this. I think it's quite um, good. Southwest of England paper by Fitzgerald. Now, of course, it's not about the UK um, necessarily. Um, there's lots of emergency departments around the world. And there's an interesting paper by Jang et al. demonstrating that stress and job dissatisfaction are not unique to UK emergency departments. And they look at examining the rate of career satisfaction and burnout in a real, large group of ED nurses actually from China. So a uh, questionnaire survey, impressively high response rate that showed that despite a relatively high percentage of nurses being satisfied with the jobs, there was a high level of burnout or risk of burnout with worryingly almost one in four nurses stating they were likely to leave their job in the next year and i think staff turnover is something that we definitely do see in departments that are under stress now sometimes it's because you train them so well they can go off and work everywhere else like uh, richard branson said but actually staff turnover is a, is a concern particularly when you lose certain particular groups of staff so if you lose all your consultants at the same time or senior nurses or junior nurses or healthcare support workers or porters or whatever if you lose a whole group at one time it's, it's very disruptive as i'm sure many people will have experienced so there may well have been some cultural differences here between these findings and looking at the uk but again the study clearly shows the relationship between the working environment and the levels of stress and burnout not necessarily the job the actual clinical work that we're trained to do which is interesting because if you speak to a lot of the public and they talk about the jobs that emergency physicians do they'll say oh my gosh I couldn't do that but it's about the medicine as opposed to the organization and in fact it's the organization which is stressing us so that comes on to um, another paper a systematic review by Basu et al from Sheffield brings together the existing literature on organizational issues that may negatively impact on the psychological well-being of ED staff as well as adversely affecting their ability to care for the patients which ultimately can risk burnout and early retirement so in this in the systematic review the authors have decided to focus on organizational stresses rather than individual vulnerabilities and i think that's sensible and they felt that these were more likely to be amenable to change apart from anything else it's quite difficult to change personality but you can change organizations so the review found that common to other specialties high workload and work intensity as well as long hours negatively impacted on the staff's psychological well-being and feelings of burnout in addition Low levels of support from managers and non-ED colleagues, lack of professional recognition and lack of educational opportunities were all important additional contributors, not only to psychological well-being, but also to compassion fatigue and the ability to care for our patients. We know this. It's good. And, but it's good to see it in print and it's good for us to share this with other people who may be able to influence change. So while the authors found that studies examining interventions designed to alleviate organisational stress were lacking, so we don't have that evidence yet, it does present an excellent base on which we can develop interventions at an organisational level to support ED staff, short and long term. And I think we need to see the studies of whether those work as well. So we actually kind of need to know um, 
what actually works at reducing risk of burnout, what actually works at the reduce of, of risking stress. Because just going around, there's another thing that Liz Crow says, is just going around and identifying people at risk or people are having problems and then not doing anything about it is insane. It's a bit like diagnosing somebody with asthma and then saying, yeah, but I'm not going to give you anything for it. I mean, if we're doing this work and we're identifying that people have got problems, we need to get out there and do something about it and study what works. So a bit of a plea there, um, but really just echoing the thoughts and the brilliant insights of Liz Crow. So another paper um, which Rich has picked up this week, so is undoubtedly the one intervention that helps all ED staff is a reduction in the numbers of patients that are seen with an ED, probably, because it's a, you know, it's a capacity issue, isn't it? So there is an interesting study from West Midlands looking at the effect of a pre-hospital partnership between the ambulance and the GPs to see what we can do. So GPs, according to predefined call criteria, either provided telephone advice and support to paramedics or attended patients at the scene. And almost 10% of the calls were able to be handled by GPs with about 8% of these patients not requiring subsequent transportation to an ED. So that's 8% isn't it, overall, I think. Um, interesting. The uh, the project's still going on, so it's still going on after four years, which I suspect talks to its sustainability. It also, to me, talks to the fact that maybe not all the patients, I mean, actually it's relatively small, small numbers, but it's significant. I mean, we're seeing a 10% rise year on year. So if we can mitigate some of that by uh, getting patients to different services, which may be more convenient and, and useful to them, that's probably not a bad idea. Bad idea. So what else? What can we think about else in this month? We can talk about exothermic warming devices and there appears to be increasing evidence that higher oxygen concentrations during the resuscitative process might lead to harm. We've, we talked about this in stroke and, and uh, cardiac disease and all sorts of things. It's really interesting compared to how I was trained when I was a youngster. So this now appears to use to extend to the use of, of external exothermic warming devices used, those predominantly those used in the pre-hospital setting. And like, like Richard, I wasn't aware that these devices designed to externally warm patients, uh, let alone being aware of the oxidative chemical reactions that are used to generate the heat. So these are like the heat packs. So it's a mannequin study, um, which is okay. Neat little mannequin study designed to simulate the use of higher concentrations of inspired oxygen in an enclosed environment. And Brooks and Deakin have done this, and they show that if you've got higher inspired oxygen concentrations, they not only accelerate the exothermic reactions using the warming devices, but can result in excessively high temperatures that may lead to significant burns. And that's kind of interesting, because it's an exothermic reaction, driven oxygen, all that kind of stuff. So maybe we need to drive with the windows open. Actually, probably not. We need to think about this and just be aware about it. And then finally, the one that Richard's picked out this month is a paper from Australia about patients taking the bus. So this examined the effect of a public health campaign on the use of EMS services to transport patients with acute coronary syndromes to hospital. And while the majority of patients with an ACS recall seeing the campaign, disappointingly, the campaign appeared to be unable to influence patients' behaviour. So this is like putting stuff on the side of buses and, and advertising. And um, over 40% of patients using alternatives to ALS um, believing them to be faster than waiting for an ambulance. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So even if you encourage people to come by ambulance, they're still coming by other things. And I think we see that. We're, all, we're still seeing walk-in MIs, and I'm sure you are too. So the authors conclude that you know, public health is, is tricky, and we need to do certain other things and think differently about how we're going to demonstrate to patients the benefits and also, I guess, the appropriateness of using EMS transport when they're sick. So that's July in the EMJ, another great month. Some really interesting stuff here, and I think... I like to see uh, 
issues of the EMJ which speak to me personally about my own personal experience. I'm sure we all do that. But also there's some quite good stuff in here which I think are worth sharing with people who may not ordinarily read the EMJ. There's quite a lot of stuff here that we can share with our managers and actually do some collaborative working with. So I would encourage you to get the full papers out, have a read of them and uh, appropriately share them with your colleagues. So enjoy July. It's a lovely day in Manchester here today. There aren't many of those, so we have to celebrate them. And enjoy your July wherever you are in the world, and have a wonderful time. We'll see you soon. Bye.